Amen. If you have your Bibles, real easy, last page, Revelation 22. A year ago, we started this wayfinding series, get a big picture overview of the Bible, started in Genesis 1, Revelation 22. So we're done of the Bible after this Sunday, so don't bring your Bibles next week. We'll just find something else to study and uh, go from there. Um, but it's been a fun year. It's been fun getting that big picture, and we're going to um, have a fun conversation this morning. So before we do that, let me pray for us. God, as we, as we open your word, and as we look at this, this book that is both exciting and overwhelming, that has caused division and debate, God, I pray that we would get the point you have for us this morning, God. So speak through your word. For the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing so we could hear you this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, I think it's safe to say people are fascinated with end times. With this idea in, in seminary, it was the word eschatology, the end of times. It's something that we're fascinated with. I remember hearing Nancy Ortberg when she was working at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago a number of years ago. She was part of the leadership for their Sunday night service where a few thousand, 20 and 30 somethings would come out to worship. And she said, when we really wanted to reach out, when we wanted to see new people, when we wanted to grow, there were two topics to talk about. One was sex. We're not talking about sex this morning. The other was end times. She said, when we advertised that we were talking about end times, droves of people would come because there's this fascination with end times. And yet, the book of Revelation is challenging. Who's read the book of Revelation? Raise your hand. So a decent number. You probably read it, and there were parts that you loved. There were parts you're like, what is going on? And some of that is the type of literature that it is. It's not a history book. It's what is called apocalyptic literature. It's like watching a sci-fi movie. If you've watched The Matrix or The Lord of the Rings, you get done of the movie, and you're like, what, dear, what did they say? What's going on? What's the point of this? And that's a little bit like Revelation. You read it differently. It's like watching that sci-fi movie and there's symbolism, there's metaphor, and they're all pointing towards something. We'll talk about that. But there's things that you have to try and understand, possibly in a different way. Even the text last week that Aaron talked about. When it talks about this city coming down out of heaven, some look at that and say there's going to be a literal city when the new heavens and new earth come. And a lot of scholars would say that's completely symbolic of God's presence and how big and majestic that is. So, in the tradition of trying to say that we may not all agree on all the nuances, but we are going to agree on the main point, which historically the church has done, let me give you an overview of how, and this is going to feel a little bit more like school. I see some of our college students back and our students in here. I apologize, but uh, this is important. I think it's important for us to know this type of information. So there's going to be four words up on the screen. This is generally for Christians who believe in the authority of Scripture. Here's the four different ways that they've understood it. And the word millennial you see in there because a couple of times in the book of Revelation there is this idea of a thousand year reign. And some would say it's literal, some would say it's not literal. And so let me give you an overview of how good Bible-believing Christians have understood the book of Revelation. Some, and probably the majority historically, would be what is called amillennial. In other words, no millennium. 
And this is people who believe that as you read the book of Revelation, it's about the story of the church. We are living in persecution. We're living in places where it's not always easy. If you went to a third world country, especially a country where persecution was happening, this is often their view of end times. Like when they read Revelation, they're reading their story. The big symbolism, those, those you know, monster type things, it's like it was sort of all around us. We're in fear of our lives. The next one, which is a newer one in the last couple hundred years, is called Premillennial. It's the Left Behind series. And it sort of structures this thousand years, a literal thing. Most everything in Revelation is future. And there is a tribulation. There's a lot of structure that goes on with the premillennial, but it's mainly future. Postmillennial is the idea that there will be this millennium when God comes back to reign, but it will happen when everybody comes to faith in God. There's a couple of gospel passages that they would use for this. Then the last one, preterist, is a perspective by a guy like R.C. Sproul, famous evangelical Presbyterian scholar. And the preterist would read the majority of Revelation, specifically chapters 4 through 19, and they would understand that as being about the first century. It's about 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem. And they would say that that language, all of this big, amazing language, if your city, the epicenter of all that you believed, your life, your religious temple, if that's destroyed, this is the type of language that would describe it. The beauty of what we talked about last week and this week is we're talking about the end of Revelation where most of us Agree. By the way, there, there's a book called The Millennial Maze by Stanley uh, Grenz that gives an overview of all those. It's fabulous. We'll put some resources up this week because I'll, I'll make a few references that we, we want to put in your hands. But here's the point. Those four perspectives, which probably are represented here in my theological journey, I've sort of gone back and forth between all four. Those four perspectives all have a common denominator. That Jesus will return and we'll make things right. And that's what we want to say this morning. That's the point we all agree on. We can, we can debate, we can fight, whatever. But the point we all agree on is that. That Jesus will return. So, this idea of fascination, it's intriguing too. The popular culture is fascinated with end times. There's this apocalyptic genre of TV and movies like uh, The Walking Dead, Last Man on Earth, Matt, that remake of Mad Max, for those of us who warms our heart, goes back. Um, but there is this fascination with the end of times. And it's intriguing. If you look at that genre, if you watch those movies, if you read books in that genre, here's the point essentially they're making. Things are bad and they're only going to get worse. Things are bad and they're only going to get worse. And here's my challenge with that. I don't think it's reality. I don't think that's real. I don't think that when we see something bad in our world, whether it's a shooting, systemic evil, cancer, whatever it is, when we see something bad in our world, I don't think we just shrug our shoulders and say, things are bad, they're only going to get worse. Oh, well. Right? I think the majority of us, when we see something bad in our world, we try and figure out how to deal with it. And that's why we've done this whole big overview of Scripture, because there are unhealthy ways to deal with the bad that we see around us. When we think about the gospel and the kingdom of God, we're invited into realities that I think give us hope in the midst of these things. And the reality is, things are verifiably getting better. And again, we'll post some of this information. Things are verifiably getting better. 
Homelessness worldwide is down. Literacy is up. More people are getting an education for a longer period of time worldwide. Violent crimes in the U.S. is going down. And some of these, some of you, I know you're saying, well, all we see around us is this immediate evil, the, the bad things that are going on. And that's true. And it's true because we live in the age of the immediate. We live in the age where the moment something's wrong, it's put right in front of us and often celebrated. But when we look at the verifiable data for how we understand the story of God and our invitation, things are getting better. Homicide rates in the U.S. and Europe are falling. There's less war right now than there's ever been in the world. And again, that doesn't make sense because we see it on TV, but verifiable data, the reality is that. There's more malaria bed nets worldwide. May not sound like a big deal, but if you're living in a country where that could kill you, it's a huge deal. Life expectancy is rising. Death rates in childbirth are going down. Child labor is on the decline. World hunger rates are going down. Extreme poverty is falling. And again, we may not always deal with those in the right ways, and that is why we're looking at this picture, because I think God's story invites us to give hope in ways that actually matter. All that said, hopefully your mind is racing. Some of you are, I, I don't totally agree, but let, let's think about that. With all that said, let's jump into Revelation 21, or 22, starting in verse 7. It says this, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. And again, we have not spent a ton of time in Revelation, but we've got to go all the way back to the beginning of Revelation, where the point of this story, it's written to the church in the first century. He even dresses specific, seven specific churches. And whatever you think about those different ways of interpreting it, the point of Revelation is it has given them this glorious, mad, majestic picture of who Jesus Christ is so that they can deal with being the persecuted church in the first century. So that's this look, I am coming soon. We're going to talk about that in a second because we're 2,000 years removed from this and many of us are thinking, soon, 2,000 years? Let's, God, let's have that discussion. Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. It's intriguing in the book of Daniel. After Daniel is given this prophetic word, he's instructed to seal up the prophecy. But this one, for John, it was specifically for that generation and for the generations to come. Like, there's something, this needs to stay open because there's a word in this that the church needs to hear. Verse 11. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to... To be vile, let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. The one who is holy continue to be holy. This is a great verse if you want to think about what the wrath of God or sort of leaving men to their free will. Those who will choose evil will choose evil. Essentially what this verse is saying. Verse 12, look, I am coming soon, bring my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds, that God is the just God, that all people, part of the end time story, part of the God returning story is that all will stand and give account before God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit of the tree of life. Revelation 22 bring us all the way back to the beginning, right? The tree of life that we saw in Genesis 1 through 3, it's now brought back into the story. God did not give up hope on his people. Outside the city or docks, the sorcerer, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. And some of us may read that verse, and we saw similar language in chapter 21, and say, if I do one of those sins, does that mean I don't get to be part of this whole deal when God comes back and makes things right? And the point of the end of that verse, they love to live a lie, is these are people who are choosing willingly to live in disobedience from God. Because we know on this side of eternity, we struggle with sin. Probably the most hopeful thing I can tell you this morning, everybody in this room is a sinner in need of grace. And this is a statement on those who are choosing willingly and knowledge of grace to live apart from God because we believe that we are saved by grace alone. It is faith in God. Keep going. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. Again, that's who it's for. I am both the source of David and the heir to the throne. I am the bright morning star. In verse 17, I, it's one I've read through Revelation numerous times. Verse 17 to me was the one that really stuck out as I read it. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The invitation of God expressed in Jesus Christ is always an open invitation to all who would come. This language of water brings us back to the Gospels where Jesus is sitting with the Samaritan woman and says everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the, the water that in the well at her feet, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from within him will flow rivers of living water. The invitation of God, even as we get to the end, the invitation again and again and again, there is enough grace the invitation is anybody who wants in simply has to come to Jesus. It's the beauty of this story. Verse 18. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And that language is back to, there is so much in Revelation that brings us back to the Old Testament. That language is back to when uh, God would make a covenant with his people. Often at the end of the covenant, this type of language was used. Don't change anything. This is from God. It's that important. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and the holy city that are described in this book. There's so much we could talk about here, even that line. He who is faith, the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, stop for a second because in this end times fascination that we often have, we seems like fairly consistently have people making predictions about when God is going to come, when Jesus is going to return. 
And I would just say, pastorally, be afraid of anybody that makes predictions. Because part of the discussion here is we have to understand our time, our understanding of time, is very different than God's understanding of time, right? And that's just a philosophical discussion that you can have on your own, sitting on your back porch. Like, God's, God's time is not the minute and hour time that we understand. And so the promise, I will return soon, is still the promise. And God knew that this early church in the first century that was living in persecution, they needed this promise. I'm coming soon, and the, the sort of response of please come soon, it's not fun right now. And then we come to the last verse. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Pretty cool ending to the Bible, right? <laughs> it's a great way that we're reminded back that Jesus is the one who brings grace. And so again, we can debate all day long. But I think the point of Revelation and the reason that we've done this year-long series is simply this right here. And I want to break this down for a couple of minutes. Jesus wins. So stay strong and lay tracks. That lay tracks probably makes no sense to anybody and it shouldn't. We'll break that down in a second. But this is the point of it. Jesus wins. So stay strong and lay tracks. Let's start with Jesus wins. The point of that statement, last week in our staff meeting, we were talking about the previous Sunday, which we always do, and Connie said when Aaron was up here preaching and he had three different signs, and one of the signs said Jesus wins, she's like, the moment he unveiled that sign, I wanted to get up and cheer. And that's part of the story. It's not Jesus wins in this, like he's coming with both fists ready to kick. No, Jesus wins in that things will be made right, and all who follow Jesus will be part of this new reality. For the readers in the first century and for us, this should be a word of hope. That God will one day return the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. The hope is God will come. And the hope is also God is in the act of making things right right now as well. It's hope what it was meant to be when somebody read Revelation it was meant to inspire like I can make it through tomorrow we sang that old song a couple weeks ago because he lives I can face tomorrow that's the point Jesus wins and so that brings us to the next sentence Jesus wins so stay strong if you are the persecuted church in the first century this is the message you need Many scholars would say the whole of the New Testament, especially Paul's writings through Revelation, if you had to choose one theme, the theme would be perseverance. Because Jesus ultimately wins, you can make it through whatever you're encountering. And that's very much the point of Revelation. Jesus wins, so stay strong. To those seven churches early in Revelation, be faithful. Stop being tempted to walk away. Stop being tempted to be wishy-washy. Be faithful. Because Jesus, if Jesus is truly Lord, then Caesar is not. Evil is not. 
Pain is not. Whatever else you want to put in there. If Jesus is Lord, no one else is, both now and in the future. And you can make it through. Persevere. Then the last one. Jesus wins, so stay strong and lay tracks. I was reading an article this week, and we'll again put that this resource out to you. It was in Relevant Magazine, and it was by a pastor from the East Coast, and he said this. It was a fabulous article on, on End Times. He said, God is conducting a train, and he has invited us to lay down tracks for his arrival. Isn't that good? God is conducting a train. In other words, God's doing something. And he has invited us to lay down tracks for his arrival. You see, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we believe that one day those will be fully married, if we pray that and mean that, then it's always a call to action. It's always a call to go and do something, to live in a different way. If we believe Jesus is king and will ultimately be king one day, then it should affect and influence every place in which I do life. I am prepared. I'm laying tracks so that people can see Jesus is coming. He's in the process of making things right and one day he will fully make things right again. As I was looking at my notes from back in Genesis, one of the uh, illustrations I used was this idea that Scripture is like a group of Shakespearean scholars and actors that lost a play or found this lost play. And the idea, the story sort of goes on. If a group of Shakespearean actors and scholars found the lost Shakespearean play, what would they do? Well, they would read it. They would immerse themselves in it. They would memorize it. They would get to know it. And the illustration goes on to say, what, is, what if as they were reading it, they got to the end of the fourth act and they realized it was missing the fifth act? What would they do? And the illustration says that they would so immerse themselves in those first four acts that they could faithfully live out, act out that story. Scripture is a lot like that. We have the first four acts. We know that God created and it was good. He created people to be in relationship with him and with each other and to care for his creation. And then things fell apart. We chose to want to be God instead of submitting to God. And the world fell apart and God called Israel to himself to go and be a blessing. And then Jesus came and Jesus be, truly through his life and death and resurrection, he started to completely make things right. And the church is called to now be that people in the world around us. So we immerse ourselves in this story. No, and we, we cheat a little bit because we know ultimately how it ends. We read Revelation 21 and 22 and we know that there's this new heavens and new earth. Things are made completely right. And now our invitation is to go and act that out, to lay tracks because Jesus is coming back to make things completely right again. That's what we get to do. Jesus wins. So stay strong, persevere. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're being tempted by, 
Keep your focus on Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. And then lay tracks. Tell a different story by how you live, by how you work, by how you're married, by how you show love at school. Father, God, this is your word and your story. And God, as we get to the end of this series of trying to understand your big story, that through your spirit, God, you would show us our role in that story, both as individuals and as a community. What does it look like for us to act out our lives as though you are actually king, the one who came and died and rose, rose again, the one who will make things right and is making things right. Teach us that. Pray this in your name, to the glory of your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.